Okay, and the reading today comes from Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 to chapter 2 verse 15. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up my flesh in what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are, and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood to oppose us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. to our uh, online audience and hello everybody here. Before I, um, before I dive in, I just want to make you aware of these little 
packs that we have given to every one of our members here. Um, these are Advent readers, and they are to, you can use these every year for the next five years. The dates work out. Um, they've been put together by Venn Foundation, and as a church, we have purchased these for you each as a um, as a gift, and also just to help you in your um, preparation for Advent. Often we forget how to focus on God, except for like Christmas Eve. Oh shoot, yes, that's right, it's all about Jesus. Um, this helps us to kind of orient our hearts and journey through that Advent season uh, in a way that um, hopefully takes us deeper in our faith and helps us to recognise at a whole new level um, what Christmas means for us. So um, I actually have a spare one of these, Bill, if you would like to give this to... It's John and Mary, eh? Yeah, so um, don't leave without that, so I'll give that to you. Um, there's four cards, one for each week. The first one starts today, uh, so we are endeavouring to get them all to everybody um, today. If you, I didn't get them finished until yesterday, so um, I didn't get to post them, but if any of you see any names on the envelopes at the back who you might be seeing today or are driving past their place or near their place, and you wouldn't mind taking them to drop them off in the letterbox or whatever, that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, and Raymond and I will hand deliver all the rest of them. So um, please do enjoy those and uh, yeah, engage with them once a week. They are, so it's not too arduous. Right, well last week, uh, last night I dreamt uh, that I was preaching this sermon and everything was going wrong. I hadn't finished my talk, which when I was dreaming was partly true. I didn't actually finish uh, final edits till this morning. We had a fairly crazy week. Uh, then I couldn't read my notes. The lights had gone out. It was really dark. And then in my dream, the worst of it was I was preaching in my nightie. <laughs> so I'm very glad that I'm here um, in clothes. I'm sure you're glad too. And um, yeah, as you know, we are week two in our four-week series on Colossians. It's a tiny book in the New Testament, uh, but it packs a punch. It's really been great to dive into. And uh, last week at Farm Church, Graham gave us some background context into this book uh, and why, uh, what was going on in the Church of Colossae, uh, so, uh, and he covered most of chapter one. I'm just going to quickly recap for you. We discovered last week that this book is one of Paul's letters. It was written to the church uh, in Colossae, which was a very young church, and in many ways, they are doing well. They are demonstrating love for all of God's people. They are bearing fruit uh, with life in the spirit. And they seem to deeply understand grace. But this church also was facing a very serious threat. And the threat was that of the Gnostics and their teaching, their philosophy of religion. And to recap for those of you who weren't here last week or who may have forgotten, um, it helps us. I'm just going to recap what the Gnostics believed and taught so that uh, we can understand the rest of chapter one and two today, because it helps us to understand why Paul was saying what he was saying. So firstly, they believed that there was a complicated God system. There was one transcendent God who, who couldn't actually create from nothing, but he brought forth matter, like the building blocks uh, of the world, both the visible and the invisible. And then there were God-like inferior beings, almost like angels, between the level of this transcendent God and humanity. And one of these was called Sophia, which is where we get the word wisdom from. Uh, and Sophia itself brought forth another god. This is why it gets complicated. I got a bit lost trying to figure this out in my head. Um, and this god was called the Demiurgos. 
and that became the created world, the creator of the world as we know it, this physical world. But this demiurgos was flawed, and therefore the physical world was flawed. And so the Gnostics saw, as a result of this belief, that the material physical world was deeply flawed and essentially inferior to all things spiritual and invisible. The physical world we live in, our physical bodies, um, the things that we do with our hands or the things that we do for work, they're all inferior to the spiritual world. And as humans, um, we are trapped here. And within us, there is a piece of the divine true God. There is a little spark that is trapped within our physical bodies. And salvation is about discovering a secret knowledge. A secret knowledge that God has made available only to a few in this world. A secret knowledge that enlightens us and helps us to discover and uncover this inner divine spark. So this is therefore how the Gnostics answered one of the most basic questions of life that we all have. How are we here? We are here because of a flawed God making a flawed world. What is our purpose then? Why are we here? According to the Gnostics, we are here to simply endure, to get through life, and in some cases abstain from things that are physical that we might see next week, because the material world and our bodies are inferior to all things spiritual. And we're simply waiting here, biding out our time on earth until we die and we can escape this earth. That's when our divine spark within us will be reunited in the spiritual realm with the eternal God, uh, with, the, with the ultimate divine God. And so in the meantime, as well as enduring or abiding, uh, enduring or biding our time here, trapped in our physical bodies, we're to seek out the secret knowledge, this wisdom, and uncover the God's spark within ourselves. Essentially creating and shaping ourselves, being the author of our own identities. Self is at the centre of importance as we endure life in this world before we can escape once our physical bodies die. And last week we also saw that the Gnostics taught that Jesus was simply a messenger of light, an agent of this secret knowledge. And salvation was only found through this knowledge and that was pretty much where Jesus finished. And here's a passage from the Gnostic writings. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must find the divine spark within herself and follow my hidden wisdom. That's from the Gnostic gospel. So one of Paul's main purposes in this letter, as Graham spoke about, was to load the gun and shoot down this false teaching, exposing it as false, because it was all around the church. It was in the culture. It was their cultural narrative. And it was therefore a constant threat to infiltrate and permeate the church. And it used similar language to the early church to make it seem harmless and more similar to the gospel. So that the Christians adopted it for themselves. As you can see here, they've used the word Jesus, they've used the word disciple. Um, whoever wants to be my disciple, that's pretty much words that is straight out of the gospel. Our gospel. And John Arenston wrote... When Gnosticism came in touch with Christianity, which must have happened almost immediately on its appearance, Gnosticism threw herself with strange rapidity into the Christian forms of thought, borrowed its nomenclature, acknowledged Jesus as saviour of the world, simulated the sacraments, pretended to be an esoteric revelation of Christ and his apostles, flooded the world with apocryphal gospels, the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of someone else, and Acts and apocalypses to substantiate its claim. So it was actually quite aggressive. And in chapter 1, Paul writes 
to emphasize the truth, the absolute supremacy of Jesus, who he truly was and what salvation all through his blood was about. He pointed out that real wisdom, and we'll see reminders of this today, and understanding of gifts are from God. And he revealed just how selfish the Gnostic worldview is revolving around self. And I'd really encourage you, if you haven't had a chance, to listen to Graham's message last week because it was so good. And today, we're going to see how, how Paul speaks to our lived reality here on earth. Not simply existing and biding our time until we can escape to heaven, but in the fullness of life that God has intended. Being spiritually full in Christ here and now in this life. But also keeping check, track or check of what theology or what philosophy we too are believing. Because we too are under threat. Just like the early church. So what I'm going to do is briefly track through this passage again and point out what Paul is saying. And you'll be able to see pretty quickly where Paul is directing um, his attack at the Gnostic beliefs. If you've got your Bibles, please do follow through because it's always helpful to see. And then we're going to look at this passage to see how it speaks to us today in our current cultural climate. (laughs) So uh, starting in chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen you to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this majesty, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now you notice immediately the echo from last week. Paul does not run from suffering like the Gnostics did. He sees he does not see the world as evil uh, in the way that they do, but he sees himself sharing in the afflictions of Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Rema Graham challenged us last week about the crosses we bear and our attitudes towards them. Also notice in here again, just in these few verses, the mystery talk, which has been disclosed to the Lord's people. Not a secret few, as the Gnostics taught, but to anyone who has decided to identify them with Christ as his people. The riches of this mystery is Christ in you. Not some random trans, uh, transcendent spark trapped within you, but the glory, the hope of glory, Christ himself in us, his temple. When we submit ourselves to him and make him Lord of our lives. Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may prevent everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I'm going to come back to this verse soon. I want you to know how how hard I'm contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all of you who have not met me personally. Paul writes, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. This understanding and mystery is a direct attack at the Gnostics. Namely Christ in whom all the treasures and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. More shots at the Gnostics. Exclusive hidden knowledge claims and Paul again identifying that Christ is the only one, the only one, the source of wisdom and knowledge. Not self-actualization, not creation of one's own identity. That's not wisdom or living as a Christian. 
Uh, verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. This Gnostic gospel was a real threat to the church in Colossae. It was fine-sounding arguments, as Paul identifies here. They were philosophies and they were beliefs that were really attractive. They look and sound familiar to, familiar to the gospel of Christ, but are actually radically different. And it wasn't just a threat to the early church that Paul was writing to. It's been a threat to the church throughout the whole of church history. For anyone who's studied church history, um, you'll know this. Here, Paul is outright, outright calling it deceptive, and we need to identify and call out fake gospels too. Versions of Christianity that are not actually of the one true gospel. The Gnostic gospel had echoes of the true gospel, the divine God within us, a creator God, two worlds, visible and invisible, a flawed reality of this world, but in the next life, perfection. All of these things remind us, don't they, of our gospel. So it would be attractive for Christians in that day, some, uh, especially when hard times hit, uh, to adopt these Gnostic beliefs. It's actually way more attractive to be able to blame God for the way this world is. Uh, and it's way more attractive than to believe in the doctrine of uh, our original sin. This life is terrible because a flawed God made it. But we believe that actually it was the doctrine of sin. Humans are responsible for the way things are. Humanity caused the error. It's much more attractive to want to endure this life at times and look forward to life after death than placing, and placing value only in spiritual things rather than physical things. It's easier to run away from suffering and pain rather than confront it. And as Paul says, even rejoice as we share in the afflictions of this life. This, our gospel is much harder. Bringing um, God glory and bringing glory to the gospel is much harder. It's much easier in the Gnostic gospel and the way of life to create one's own identity rather than allowing God to call us out into the identity he has created us to be. Children of God with him at the centre of our hearts, not ourselves on the throne. Now I say the Gnostic gospel intentionally, I use those two words together. I think is that Joshy? Oh no, fine. No, no, it's fine. Um I sorry, mum brain clicking on. <laughs> um, I say the words Gnostic gospel because the gospel isn't just the word that was used for the, that the early church invented. It wasn't a church a word that Jesus made up to describe the good news he was bringing. Gospel comes from the word euangelion and that's a Greek word which was used to describe good tidings, good news. And so, for example, the word was used to announce when the Emperor Augustus had been born as the beginning of good tidings for the world. Now, we know that Augustus was not the beginning of good tidings for the world. Only Jesus Christ could be. But anything declaring to be good news to humanity, the way of life, the truth of how we are here and why we are here, the, ones, the one claim to the right wisdom, Anything that claims to be that that is not God is a false gospel. The only gospel we as Christians are to adhere to and to hold as truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the only gospel for anyone on the planet is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I said before that the Gnostic gospel was a threat to the early church, um, but that same threat has never gone away. And over the last 2,000 years, the church has faced heresy after heresy, false gospels parading as attractive new, new ways and better ways to understand 
uh, a Christian faith. Uh, better ways to live our lives as Christians, because they all got it wrong. We've got it, guys, and we've got the secret. <clears throat> These early church, um, and actually the most threatening uh, threat to the church is not from outside the church, but it's actually the threat within the church. Church leaders throughout history have had to call these people out. The early church fathers spent a lot of time calling out heresy. And the reason we have like the rule of faith, the creeds that we say, uh, is that because they're an easy way to summarize and memorize our essential uh, theological beliefs, the theological foundations of our faith. And these are the convictions that the early Christians lived and died for. The earliest creed is found in 1 Corinthians in the words of Paul. No, I haven't got that one on there. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And this is one of the first creeds that we find in the Bible that was recited by the early Christians before they got the New Testament canonized. This is the gospel in just a few verses. I've been reading this really great book. Um, it's great, but it's frightening. It's called Another Gospel, and it's by Lisa Childers. Did anyone know of the band uh, Zoe Girl in the 80s, 90s? I think the, the main audience was teenage girls, so most of you here wouldn't have been a teenage girl in the 80s. But anyway, um, it's an absolutely brilliant read, and I would thoroughly recommend it for anyone who wants to, because very bravely... She calls out one of the biggest threats to the modern Christian church here and now, and that is of the progressive gospel. Has anyone heard of the progressive gospel? Yeah. Sadly, there are many Christian authors, and I was a bit shocked as I looked at the list. Um, speakers, pastors who have been captivated by an alternative gospel. It's attractive. It echoes the gospel of Jesus in many ways, but it's also very palatable to the world. Um, but it's actually deeply deeply flawed and downright wrong. It's alarmingly similar to the Gnostic gospel uh, in some ways. This progressive Christian gospel, as Paul would say to us, is a fine sounding argument. I actually couldn't skim this book as fast as I needed to. Uh, and I had to actually read it slowly because the deception is so fine tuned. I had to really focus in to see what Elisa was saying about the progressives so that I could understand where she was going because they're so similar. It's quite, you could actually come across a progressive pastor and not actually quite realise what they were believing was, how, how, how it was different to what you theologically believed. Sometimes. Sometimes it's more obvious. Elisa writes, Today, many of the most popular Christian authors, bloggers and speeches are progressive. Entire denominations are now filled with those who identify as such. Yet many other Christians sit in pews every Sunday completely unaware that the church has adopted, adopted progressive theology. Now my purpose today isn't to stand here and name and shame other Christian leaders and teachers, but I would be in this as vicar to not call out in warning, just as Paul did, and the early church fathers and many others since then, a threat to the church and a, church, a threat to our church. As well-known apologist and author Lee Strobel, he's the one who wrote Case for Christ, uh, he writes in the foreword of this book, Elisa exposes the false gospel that so many progressive Christian leaders are espousing. Their aberrant beliefs are cutting adrift the faith of far too many people, even though these folks may not realise it yet. 
As a result, Christianity is floating towards disaster, a trend that can be reversed only by returning to the sound biblical doctrine that has historically anchored our faith. Now, as much as I agree with Lee, I feel like he, he kind of misses the fact that God builds the church and God will not, um, nothing can stop him. But he's definitely pointing out something that's really important here. He illustrates how much we can take it off track um, and how many people as a result will miss out of life in Christ here and now in a deep and meaningful way. And that is actually the opposite of the Great Commission, isn't it? So, um, so what does this progressive gospel teach, you might be asking me? Well, it varies from seemingly mild differences to radical opposite views, but all of it is dangerous if it is counter to the gospel of Jesus. Alicia writes that the progressives doubt the resurrection of Jesus, although some still do, but they question the atonement. Others are orthodox in their atonement, but they have changed their mind on views like homosexuality and abortions. Most progressives believe the Bible is an archaic travel journal that documents what ancient Jews and Christians believed about God. None of it, or not all of it, is authoritative. None of it is inspired. None of it is inerrant. They think it's a human book. What unites them is a willingness to question the things historic Christians have believed and put their hope in for 2,000 years. They believe that Jesus was killed by an angry mob for speaking truth to power, and they often distort what happened on the cross, and I think this might be the most tragic thing of all. Instead of an act of divine love and grace, they call it cosmic child abuse. Michael Gungor, a Pentecostal worship leader and popular Christian musician who founded a church, also progressive now, writes on the cross. I would love to hear more artists who sing to God and fewer who include a father murdering a son in that endeavour. That God needed to be appeased with blood is not beautiful, it's horrific. And he also wrote recently, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, and everyone else is Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ, we are the body of Christ. How do they, or how do we get there? How do these people who grew up with an orthodox view of God... And Christian families bring um, this new gospel into their worldview and accept it. How do they fall for this progressive gospel? And not just the progressive gospel, any other gospel. Well, many of us in our maturing of faith go through an important part or important time in our, in our growth where we question things. We question what we were brought up to believe. We question, um, and it, it can be quite disconcerting. It's often called deconstruction. Uh, and we assess and dissect what we've grown up with, and perhaps um, what you know. You always kind of just believe what your parents believe often, and you get to a point where you take your faith on for yourself. And it's a very disconcerting time. I know this from experience. I went through it about ten to fifteen years ago, and the only thing at the time that I could hold on to for certain was that Jesus was real and evident in my life, and I could not deny that. Everything else was, I don't know. But the way back to reconstruction is through spending time in scripture, in the very words of Jesus himself, the inspired word of God, and holding on to that true gospel as proclaimed right here in Colossians. The danger for all of us, and not just in times of deconstruction, is to feed on podcasts, to read blogs, to listen to sermons, and preachers who are attractive to us, who we resonate with, who read, we can read stuff about scripture, but not actually scripture itself. Now, although God has definitely gifted many to preach the word of God, 
they are still themselves not the word of God. All of us who present the word of God, who preach, write, interpret scripture, we are all human and we are all going to get it wrong sometimes. We all have lenses, we all have backgrounds and preconceived ideas as we come to a text. Now, we faithfully come to the text attempting, well, we attempt faithfully to come to the text every time in humility and a posture of openness. And we try to say, Lord, what is this text saying to us? We want to be, um, we want the word to speak to us and to change us as we write, rather than making the text fit what we want it to say. But we're still human. Now, if you just came to church and listened to Graham, Mickey and I, and you didn't read scripture for yourselves, you wouldn't actually be being spiritually fed. We can help highlight truths and we can do our best to faithfully present God's word to you and how it applies to our lives today, but we will get it wrong sometimes, hopefully not often, uh, but we would be prideful to say we will never get it wrong. The best way to truly feed your soul and to gain wisdom for life and to figure out what the real gospel is, is from the wisdom of Jesus and through the inspired, powerful word of God. Test what we say against that. Test what we say against the words of Scripture and look for the fruit. Because as teachers of the word of God, we should have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. If we spend more time reading or listening to popular progressive authors like Rob Bell, Richard Raw, Brian McLaren, Sarah, uh, Rachel Held Evans and others, we're going to effectively cut ourselves adrift. Now in this introduction to this book, Lee Strobel, um, who writes The Ford, uses a great illustration of anchoring a boat at night. And I've actually used a similar uh, illustration before. On sailing trips with friends, in order to make sure their anchor is set, they, um, they were obviously in far more tropical places with much more clarity, but they would dive down to make sure the anchor was set. They would actually physically check it with their own eyes. And it can't have been that deep either. Um, because uh, when they fall asleep at night in the deck below, uh, Lee quietly writes that if the anchor comes adrift, Initially, there's not actually a problem, especially on a calm night. They would just pretty much stay where they'd been parked. But over the course of a long night, waves and currents would cause the boat to flood, float away and eventually crash on nearby rocks or on the ground on the sandy beach. And he reminds us that for Christians, our anchor is strong biblical doctrine. If it's not secure or intentionally cut, uh, nothing might happen at first. Tradition and habit will keep us hovering in the same space. But the real danger is what will inevitably happen over time. The current of culture, and here I'm not just talking about secular culture, but popular Christian culture too. The current of culture and would, in the words of Lee, cause Christianity to crash, crash onto the rocks of heresy and sink into irrelevancy. And this is what Paul is addressing to the church in this letter. The cultural climate pushing and pulling the church, threatening to shipwreck them if they don't watch out for this Gnostic threat. So turn to um, 2 verse 6. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built in him, strengthening, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on the human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than Christ. Now, hopefully this passage will uh, sound a bit familiar to you because we did speak on it uh, about a month or so ago in that talk where I talked about uh, fear and anxiety in the midst of a pandemic. 
And as I sit then, as I do now, we're very pre- uh, prone as humans to being taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. The early church was, as I've said, churches throughout the last history, last 2,000 years, which is why we have to have our anchor uh, thoroughly set correctly. We must address what our anchor is. What is our biblical doctrine? What do you believe? What do you actually believe about Jesus? Because if you haven't actually really thought about it or really checked deep down what you believe, uh, you will actually swallow whatever attractive gospel is put in your face, played on your phone or spoken from the pulpit uh, when times get hard. Wrestling is really hard. Wrestling out our faith and figuring out what we really believe is its hard work. But it's the only way to fully live with a sound anchor in the way of Jesus. And I have to admit, sometimes the church unfortunately hasn't provided space for those who are wrestling uh, with faith and doubt, uh, ask the hard questions. And we need to actually do this together, which is why home groups and clusters and Bible studies are also great. In places where people don't feel like they can wrestle with their faith or work through those questions that they've just always believed or or, um, been raised with, if they can't figure out in a safe environment what they believe about God and the cross, they can turn to other Gospels, which welcome them with open arms and then leave them dumped, empty and broken down the track. As Paul says, our anchor must only be rooted and built in Jesus. And back in verse 2, he said, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are. Only in Christ do we find true wisdom and knowledge. Not the Gnostics, not the progressives, nor any other gospel presented to us, only in the words of Jesus. What is that gospel? Paul gives it to us here in this last part of this passage today. Paul gives it to the Church of Colossae and for all churches facing heresy today. So verse 9, For in Christ, and here I am preaching the gospel, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. Can I have an amen? I know we're not a stupidly amazing um, Pentecostal church, but amen. That is God. That is the gospel, and I'm really excited about that. This is where our theology should be based. This is what we believe. This is our anchor. And when we live in this truth, we can live spiritually full lives here and now. Not sometime in the future when we've died and escaped this world. But we can live full lives in Christ here and now. Lives where we feel fully satisfied to the deepest parts of our core. And that's my prayer for these friends of yours. That they would feel fully alive in the last few months of his her life. This whole book speaks to us. How are we here? 
We are here because Jesus Christ brought us into being. Why are we here? We are here to live life in the fullness of life, deeply satisfied as we walk in relationship with Jesus. Becoming mature in our faith is our life goal, as Paul says in verse 28. So just quickly, here's some take-home points to do, and I'm on the home run. Oh, Graham said, can I call that the Gnosticism vaccine? <laughs> I'm like, whatever. <laughs> so the first thing, the first layer of protection is embed yourself in scripture. Sure, keep listening to teachers and preachers. I'm not saying you should stop coming to church uh, or listening to some of your favourite speakers, but start by being rooted in scripture. That is your foundation. Read the words of Jesus. Read scripture every day. We, we all need to be better at that, us included. Um, listen to speakers and preachers through the lens of scripture, not the other way around. Don't read scripture through the lens of what you've heard others say or hold as true for yourself. We must come to scripture with humility because scripture is intended to shape and form us. We are not to shape and form scripture to fit what we believe or think or feel. And that is one of the huge challenges for us in this cultural climate. Feelings are touted as the compass of truth. Your feelings are most important. That can't be further from the truth in God's word. And as Elisa says in her book, we cannot allow truth to be sacrificed on the altar of our feelings. I'm going to say that again. We cannot allow truth to be sacrificed on the altar of our feelings. So even if this feels really daunting to you, just start with five minutes a day. Spend, start in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to, read, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark next year, so there's a heads up. Uh, so just start by reading five minutes a day. Uh, or you could read the Psalms, whatever you like. One or two a day. It's powerful and it will be your anchor for life. Sometimes it feels like nothing, but you know if it's the inspired word of God, it will be changing you. Secondly, realise that Jesus is the only source of wisdom. His gospel... His gospel is the only true gospel. So as you listen to podcasts and preachers and teachers, do some research into who they are and what they believe about the cross and the atonement. What do they actually believe about Jesus and the authority of scripture? Check your anchors and check their anchors. Thirdly, it's okay to wrestle. If you have doubts, you're completely normal. It's scary, and especially for those of us who grew up in an environment where faith was understood to suggest absolute certainty. So realise it's okay, you're not alone in that, and then come and chat to one of us, or a trusted Christian friend, or somebody who you can be real with. Spend time in scripture and prayer with them. The Christian body is where we build each other up, we strengthen each other in our faith. Read apologetic books, read theological books, dig deep to work out your faith, and if anyone wants to come and borrow some books in my library, I've got some great recommendations. Fourthly and finally, let's live into the fullness of what Christ has for you here and now. Paul says in Christ we have already been brought to fullness. We were raised with him into new life here and now. Not just in the future, but here and now. Speak to the Lord about what that looks like for you. Speak to the Lord about what are the things in your life uh, or that you're engaging in that might be holding you back from experiencing that fullness of life in him. Speak to the Lord about how you can enter more deeply into the spiritual life with him. So that's your homework. You four things to take away. Uh, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your power and for your gospel. We thank you for this letter uh, into the Colossians that 
speaks not only to a church, an ancient church, 2,000 years ago, but speaks to us today. We thank you that you don't leave us alone to fight the cultural climate that we're amidst of, but you give us wisdom. You give us truth. You give us your gospel. So, Father, for each of us, as we go from here, uh, when we're finished today, help us to live more intentionally, rooted in scripture and in your truth and in your gospel. Help us to see where we can develop our relationship with you more deeply and live more fully into the goodness of the life that you have for us.